So to everybody, uh, welcome. My name is Demian Shield. I'm the Senior Director at the Institute for Medical Simulation at the Center for Medical Simulation. And as many of you uh, might know, we're an independent nonprofit based at the center of the Harvard Healthcare System. We do a number of things, including teamwork training and crisis resource management, particularly around intact teams in OB and anesthesia. We also uh, serve as consultants to organizations in a program called the Affiliations Program. And uh, we, uh, near and dear to my heart, work that I do is leading the Institute, which has to do with faculty development, instructor training, capacity development, and increasingly customized consulting. During the uh, COVID period, we initiated this series called the weekly webinars because we wanted to remain connected and learning internationally with all of our colleagues and affiliates. And that proved quite hard during the travel van. Uh, that's thankfully getting somewhat better. And yet uh, we are just excited and leveraging the new formats that are available and making this kind of a session possible. So I'm really happy to have Sarah Janssen's here a friend and colleague from Australia. She's um, participated as a fellow at the Center for Medical Simulation for six months. And that's when we really got to work together and learn. And a lot of what she's gonna be talking to us today about came out of that work. So uh, fitting that we have you back and uh, that we don't have to wait until the travel ban reopens. I'll say a few more introductory words and then I'll, um, just invite you and everyone else here to get involved in the conversation. The weekly webinar series is available as a recorded basis. So please feel free to check out our program and also come back as we're planning on continuing. And, and we have a number of different formats, including ask anything format. So next week we'll have a open panel discussion with the CMS faculty. We have meet the authors sessions like this one where we get to talk to uh, the current and future voices in the field of healthcare simulation and safety. And we also have panels and keynotes and specialized workshops. So lots of opportunities for the community to keep on learning and connecting together. So um, I know we have formal objectives for the session here, uh, but aside from that, Sarah, I thought I would uh, just ask you to share a bit with with all of us um, about your background and where you're working, how you got to doing all of this. Um, turn it over to you. I know you have a couple of slides prepared, so. Yeah, I'll see if I can share my screen. Here we go. Thanks, Damien. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's really a pleasure to be able to connect with you guys again. Um, we're kind of geographically on the other side of the world, but um, I kind of in some ways feel like I never left Boston um, just with that ongoing, I guess, relationship that we have with you guys. Um, so I think some of the people online are my friends, so they probably know me already. Um, but for those of you who don't, um, I um, am an obstetrician and gynecologist and I work at the Mother Mother's Hospital uh, in Brisbane. Um, and I'm also the clinical simulation director for MARTA's um, MARTA education. So taking a role in faculty development uh, and our simulation fellows program here at MARTA. 
Um, I'm also lucky enough to uh, chair a group with our ONG college uh, with respect to simulation and advising college regarding that. And um, as mentioned, a lot of the work that I, this research that I'm doing um, is part of my PhD, which I'm doing through Monash University in Melbourne. Um, and I do have to disclose that I've been very lucky enough to uh, receive some uh, funding to support my research, which is not cash to me, but it gave me some clinical backfill to allow me to be a clinician researcher. So um, very, um, I guess, thankful to the MARTA Foundation for that opportunity. Sarah, as you, thank you for introducing yourself. And as you get started, I'll let you know that we have folks on uh, joining live today from Argentina, Australia, Brazil, Latvia, Nepal, Saudi Arabia, Spain, Thailand, the UAE, the UK, and the US of A. Uh, I think that might be a record for us in terms of the number of uh, people here. Those of, for you who are joining internationally, I wanted to invite you to interact with myself and with Sarah throughout the presentation. The uh, best way to do that is through the Q&A button, which you have available there. Q&A is questions and answers, but we can use it liberally. Feel free to introduce yourself and your background. And throughout the presentation, uh, let us know what you're thinking, how you're reacting. I know Sarah wants this to be conversational. And so I'll be here with her talking about her topic and also bringing to her your comments and questions. So I'll be your avatar for the day. So feel free to use uh, me there. Thanks, Damien. I really do want to um, hear from those around the world how this resonates from uh, with you guys. Um, so that would be great if we could get lots of questions or comments or, or whatever. Um, I thought it might help a little bit just to explain the context of where I work. Um, and as I said, it's um, an Australian context. Uh, we are at probably the busiest maternity hospital in Australia. We have about 10 to 11,000 births a year. And um, we have a mix of public and private patients and an 80 bed NICU and about 200 maternal beds. So quite a busy hospital. And uh, just a reminder to our international colleagues, I suppose that in Australia, we, we do have a very British model of uh, healthcare and maternity care. So uh, when I say midwife, um, uh, midwives in Australia uh, uh, play the role or perform the role of not only uh, midwives that you might have in your context in America with delivering, doing the births and providing antenatal care, but also work as obstetric nurses and provide um, that nursing support and care throughout labour and delivery. So um, when I speak about midwives, I'm sort of in some ways conflating an obstetric nurse and a midwife together in some form. So just as a little kind of uh, cultural difference, I suppose, between that UK or British system and other systems around the world in childbirth. That's so helpful. And I know you asked me, Sarah, in preparation that I help um, make sure our conversation is both international and global, but also bringing some of the other contexts as an emergency physician and someone who's worked in different practice settings. So hopefully yeah, that, so all of that will make it international and celebratory and uh, interesting to a lot of folks. Absolutely. Um, 
it's just wonderful, I guess, that we have so many different ways of practicing around the world. And I don't think any one is better than the other. Um, it's just the way that we are, um, each system has evolved, I think. Um, so I've got this picture of a lighthouse here because I guess the talk is called, should we demolish the lighthouse? And that might seem a little bit, uh, you know, obscure, I suppose. Um, but I really wanted to talk to you guys about my research and about how I got interested in leadership and this concept of uh, lighthouse leadership. Um, so the lighthouse is not a term that I made up. It's, it's a term that came from a paper in the 90s by Cooper and Wakeham. And, you know, they actually filmed live cardiac arrests, like they had a code pager and when the code bleep would go off, they would run along and set up their camera and record these teams. And they, they discovered that um, the teams that were led by a leader who stood back and was very directive and hands off, these were the teams that had the best clinical performance. And, and that sort of research was um, duplicated in trauma teams. And in my mind, it led to this uh, very common paradigm in, in medical emergency teams of this, they termed it lighthouse leadership, this sort of singular leadership paradigm. And I was teaching and training our maternity teams. And, and sometimes I think feeling a little frustrated that the leadership still wasn't perfect. And then I guess I started talking to and um, looking at what other emergency teams are doing, trauma teams and um, other emergency department teams. And they weren't necessarily only having one leader. And so that's really when I started becoming uh, interested in uh, this concept of shared leadership. Um, and I'm, I'm interested, Damien, is that something you'd heard really before I started, I guess, my journey or my foray into this, this concept of shared leadership? Um, I, I would say for me, I had not heard of that idea and, mm -hmm. I, and the lighthouse metaphor is an interesting one because it, it gives guidance and it's a single tall structure. But I think the, at least in the US context, a lot of the, and also in Latin America where I have worked, um, a lot of the leadership metaphors have more to do with sports teams and military and a high, other high performance teams. So, so whereas I hadn't heard of lighthouse leadership or shared leadership as a mm. as a construct i was very familiar with the this idea that you have there which is that or similar to what you have there which is that we're not i'm not necessarily looking for leaders leader is not a person but leadership behaviors and so i always thought of well there's leadership behaviors amongst all team members mm, yeah and so i'm curious to learn throughout this presentation more about shared leadership because I think I know what that means, but I'm always keen to learn from someone who's really specializing in the topic to understand what is it, is it, what is it good for and should I do it? Yeah. So one of the other common terms for lighthouse leadership was uh, the command physician um, in more uh, a trauma setting. So very similar, but as I said, very singular kind of the person in charge. And, um, and really I started to question this as I started looking into this, is this the best way to go? Um, because 
um, there's a lot of literature out there beyond healthcare emergency teams that show that distributed or shared leadership improves team performance. And so that's really what got me quite interested uh, in this. Um, and as you said, um, this rather than necessarily looking at uh, what we used to look at and what are the research uh, before the noughties was looking at, it was like, well, who is the leader uh, and how do they lead and focusing on that to improve leadership. And it's interesting because you still see these papers out there, like who is the best person to lead the trauma team? Is it the emergency physician or is it the trauma surgeon? And, you know, papers and papers getting written about this or how, uh, how should they lead? You know, what kind of style of leadership should they have, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and I think there has been a recent shift um, in, as you said, thinking about what those leaders' leadership behaviours are. And we call that, uh, it's called in the literature functional leadership. So more about the what of leadership. So what are those leadership tasks or functions that need to be performed? Um, and it's interesting because when you look at what needs to be performed from a leadership perspective, you can start not focusing on that one person who's standing at the end of the bed, but start looking at that whole team. And it really broadens the lens through which you're viewing, you're viewing leadership. You were gonna say something there, Damien? Yeah, so I'd like to invite people who are joining us internationally here to comment on the chat. What do they value in a leader? Um, and in leadership behaviors when they're thinking about acute care teams or healthcare action teams. Yeah. Uh, Sarah keeps on describing here. I invite you to start commenting for what you see is valuable and what you see is working. One, one of the things that's interesting, Damien, in this regard is that there has been a little bit of a shift. So if you look at, um, you know, all these tools that get developed to rate teamwork and leadership in trauma and emergency teams, until extremely recently, they all, uh, all the domains, all the items are like the leader did this, that or the other, um, or does this, that or the other. And a more recent tool, the Petra tool, um, which is an obstetric um, emergency team assessment tool, it's the first one I've seen that actually talks about the leaders um, and has a much more inclusive, I guess, broad ranging uh, way to assess leadership. So it can be something like the, those tools that really focuses in on one person rather than necessarily thinking about the leadership behaviors in the whole team. Very interesting. And uh, yeah. it's already getting me thinking about what are some of the leadership, negative leadership performances that we're encouraging through simulation and what's the relationship between your experience in sim and experience in the healthcare system so hopefully yeah. we'll get back uh, to that towards the end anything coming up in the q a um not quite yet but i'll let you know as uh as we get to that cool so um I guess part of that journey that I started on was seeing that there's all this literature and there's so much out there about shared leadership, improving team performance, and particularly in teams that are very similar to our healthcare action teams. So high stakes, time critical, very diverse team members with specialized skills. These are the teams that benefit from shared leadership. 
Um, and they're very similar to the teams that we work in when we're responding to healthcare emergencies. So I thought, well, how are we actually sharing leadership? So as you mentioned, I, I did a systematic review and um, used a, a conceptual framework that uh, had been developed in um, actually the educational um, literature, um, looking at what, how is leadership shared? And they kind of came up with these three forms of shared leadership, which were really quite evident when I looked in the healthcare uh, action team or emergency team literature. So my plan now is just to kind of go through some of these um, types of shared leadership and comment on what we found about them and have a discussion. And I really like to hear from those who are listening about whether these things are sort of resonating with them and are they recognizing these forms of leadership, sharing leadership that perhaps they didn't really think of as shared leadership in the past. So the early comment here, Sarah, one of them says, look, it really depends on the situation. I, I do support shared leadership, but sometimes lighthouse is necessary. <laughs> I think that's, that's uh, I, I've heard this uh, a lot of times, like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a nice idea. We'll share and be all happy, hold hands, all interprofessional, but sometimes the I'm interpreting here, but sometimes the doctor just has to be in charge. Sometimes the surgeon needs to take control, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Well, um, uh, another comment says, um, well, it depends on what's happening. Again, the situation would dictate who's on the team, what's their expertise, how well do they know each other? So it seems like the question for people isn't, is shared leadership good or bad, but it might be when should we have it? When should we not have it? So maybe you could tell That's, us about how, how that, I, I'm very interested in both how you, what you found in your study, but also how you came to these questions and how you tackled yeah. them. Yeah, well, we'll move on. And I think we'll address some of those concerns, all those comments as we go through what we found, um, but there's still a lot we don't know. So I guess the, the first form of shared leadership um, uh, is this planned shared leadership. So these team structures that do typically have a medical team leader and say a nursing team leader, like a trauma team, and they're influencing the, the team. So maybe just to take a step back to define what leadership is, it's all definitions of leadership essentially have um, that they include a, a process of influence that's getting the team towards uh, the team goals. So um, these types of leadership sharing arrangements uh, are really about trying to offload uh, or divide the load of the leadership functions between two or more people for the purpose of improving that leadership. And um, you know, typically the papers that describe this sort of leadership sharing uh, we're a medical team leader and a nursing team leader and the medical team leader doing the clinical stuff and the nursing team leader using their expertise in, you know, logistics and communication to kind of manage the resources in the room, manage the communications um, of the team and think about the external communications as well. So um, a, a very, I guess, common form of, of shared leadership. Interestingly, even though I say sort of the nursing team leader being the logistics and communication, there are increasing reports now coming out of uh, nurse-led codes, for example, where in fact a nurse leader is leading the actual algorithm, ALS algorithm, and the medical lead team leader is taking a very different sort of 
leadership functions um, role. Um, and the other sort of uh, area that we saw shared leadership planning, uh, planned shared leadership is in these um, uh, very, very complex teams that actually ended up with little micro teams. For example, extracorporeal life support where you have an airway team leader and they lead their little airway micro team, an ECMO team leader managing the ECMO team, the resus team, and then this primary team leader who's overseeing them all. So when there's just so much leading to be done, just dividing it up into um, little, uh, I guess, subsections of leadership um, to try and improve oops, um, the, the team leadership overall. So, um, oh, I can't hear you, Damien. This resonates with me, Sarah, and it, it, yeah. it makes me think that, you know, I've worked in several trauma centers and not necessarily the most liberal or progressive, and certainly the trauma team leader is always a physician, but really, who are we kidding? It's the nurse that's telling you, we're, <laughs> we're doing this recess in this room, or I think they need to go straight to the OR, don't you agree? And yeah. So it makes, you know, it's, an, it's, I think that really is there that maybe what's confusing or interesting is that it's really not who is the team leader, but what's the leadership being done and why do we have this need to, to call you know, that, to call someone the leader? What is that doing? Yeah. Yeah. But well, it, it, all I... these, you know, these, to me, this, is very helpful because there are these sub teams, they do have leaders, and yet there's probably some other overarching leaders going on around there as well. They're just yeah. not getting the credit. Exactly. So I think it comes down to um, ultimate authority um, and that, that traditional hierarchical structure that we have in healthcare that we need to have someone the buck stopping with someone or someone being able to say that final word and so shared leadership doesn't necessarily it's not these are not mutually exclusive you can have a hierarchical leader and still have shared leadership um, but ultimately um, i think in medicine we have this desire or need and whether that's real or not I don't know, to have that one person who is at the top of the Christmas tree kind of thing. Um, so, you know, the interesting thing about this, Damien, was um, in all the papers we looked at, there's very little evidence to, to suggest that this improves team performance at all. The, the data was, um, the studies are not very methodologically uh, sound. So uh, the kinds of studies that we saw here was like, oh, we introduced a nurse trauma leader into our team and a few things got better. Um, but that nurse trauma leader also did a whole heap of other quality assurance activities within the department um, and did education and training and rehearsal. And so whether or not this actually does improve uh, team leadership or team function, I think is a big unknown. I think we all like it and we think it makes sense, but the data is not there to necessarily suggest that um, it, it actually does improve team performance because there is an additional burden that comes with having several leaders of communication and coordination. And there's always the risk that the, uh, the primary goals say of the airway team leader and the ECMO team leader are gonna be in conflict. 
Um, so when you're dividing leadership functions up between several people, you have to work extremely hard to make sure that um, you all have that shared goal and you all have um, the same priorities. So it's, it's interesting. Communication and coordination become that much more important when you divide out the. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I'm going to move on to the next form of leadership, and I think you'll um, of leadership sharing, which you hope I think you will also find familiar, Damien, working in a hospital where you have residents and Gron, whose framework we're using, called this intuitive working relationship. So. What that kind of means is it's not like a formal arrangement. It's not written in policy or, or a guideline. It's not necessarily um, uh, organisationally kind of sanctioned, but it's just the way that people practice and we all understand that this is what happens. So um, sorry for the Australian terminology here, but it's, it's a situation where you have, say, a resource going on and you have an attending or a consultant who's actually kind of, you know that they're in charge but they actually delegate the leadership of the team to the trainee and the resident and the registrar um, to let them lead the team. And so um, this, uh, as some of our listeners kind of mentioned, is, is a very dynamic thing uh, and how much, we, how much um, leadership we cede to this trainee depends very much on what their level of experience or expertise in, how much we trust them, what the acuity of the patient is, um, how sick they are. So it's a very interesting form of shared leadership, which is kind of a bit more vertical, but you're sharing up and down a vertical chain rather than necessarily laterally uh, throughout a team. And so the purpose of this is very much not to improve overall team performance, but to train that person in, uh, in becoming a leader. And the, the consultant still retains that hierarchical authority and has the ability to remove or give to the registrar um, that ability to perform those leadership functions. This uh, resonating with you? Completely. And also, I think, aligns with our competency-based assessment scheme of entrustment. And mm. totally agree that trust and the relationship, I think by the, I like that you have the bi-directional bi arrow mm. because part of my, at least my style in supervising, maybe you do the same, is making sure not only that I'm watching for what I can support, but that I'm also opening up the, hey, let me know when you want me to step in or let me know. Yeah. Um, I think that this, it is an interesting and complex dynamic to have a that supervisory and shared leadership in the relation in, in the working relationship thinking about work that walter epic has presented here in a previous webinar it makes me think that completing a resuscitation without losing the authority of being that team leader is a form of feedback mm. and, a, yeah. uh, and a form of assessment that uh, per, uh, trainees are looking for uh, maybe a similar in the in the operating theater that you were able to complete the appendectomy or uh, yeah. the salpingectomy or the yeah clash on your own and without assistance and yeah etc cetera, etc cetera. yeah so um no data on how this affects um 
team function or team performance uh, that we could find. And that's, you know, in my mind, this is an area ripe for further research to understand the impact that this sort of um, sharing of leadership with a junior practitioner has on team function and um, team performance. So interesting. Um, I'm um, just going to move on now to another, the other third major form of leadership sharing that we, we found in the, the literature was around this spontaneous uh, leadership sharing. So that's when you might have a very traditional team with a singular team leader and a team. Um, but actually, uh, whether it is real or just perceived that the team leader is not performing the leadership functions that are required at that time is that team members will start to exert lateral influence on each other or lead each other, or in fact, start leading the team leader towards um, the uh, team goals. So um, very, very uh, common and I think almost ubiquitous form of, of leadership sharing. Um, and again, people are contributing leadership functions because they wanna Im improve the leadership, improve the lead, uh, improve the team function and decrease the, the leader's workload. So um, again, interesting, the, um, the data on this very much um, showed that it has the potential to help and hinder teamwork. So um, and it's interesting because you can kind of get into this real uh, conundrum of uh, thinking about uh, leadership and followership and actually followership might be good shared leadership uh, and understanding when you should contribute leadership and when you shouldn't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it kind of, when you start thinking about this, you realise the, the falseness of this um, dichotomy of leaders and followers, right? And you kind of realise that everyone potentially is a leader, but they need to choose which leadership functions that they should perform and, and when to perform them. So this happening when you're leading resources, uh, Damien? Yeah, I, um, really makes me think about um, parsing out subtasks, like in your previous sub-team area. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a way, part of, part of what I think is in play for me is the burden of communication and coordination. Mm, so yeah. if the airway team is doing well, all they need to do is inform you and they can make their own decisions and you trust that they're taking care of the problem and will let you know if there's an issue. But if they're really problem solving on their own and aren't letting you know, then you can't help them and also you don't know what's happening. So that, yeah. I think that double-edged sword um, is definitely there. And I, um, I, I think it's similar, it sounds similar to what I've heard described in the um, anesthesia side of the curtain and the surgical side and also the perfusionist side. So it seems like all these acute complex, multi, you know, multi-organ situations call for this. But I'm also thinking about other kinds of settings where it might also be important, like uh, coordinating complex care, a lot of outpatient transitions of care. I, I really think it's likely to be as important, if not more, in other types of settings, even though my own 
practice yeah. is very focused here. I'm glad you brought that up, Damien, because in fact, this research has been very, very focused on the acute emergency setting and teams responding to acute emergencies. But um, there is so much literature and um, need for more focus really on shared leadership that's not uh, in these acute emergencies. Um, so uh, there's it's fertile ground for further research really of, of what's going on. And there are people starting to look into this all around the world with respect to, um, you know, just routine operating theatres um, activity, for example, and the types of leadership sharing that's going on in those and, and very much management as well in healthcare management. So from the uh, Q&A box, the question is, mm -hmm. is this not similar to sharing mental models and having two-way communication between members of the team? Um, so where do we... You know how is this different than a communication scheme like why are we talking yeah. about it so separately here so, so the, the key difference really is around that that influence so um shared mental models and and clear communication are vital um really and vital enabler of shared leadership but i guess the main differentiator of shared leadership is someone influencing another individual, getting them to do something um, to, to progress towards that goal. So, um, and it is nuanced, right? And so it's interesting to, to kind of make that line of um, when someone says, oh, you know, should we call the code team? Um, is that influence or is that just raising awareness? And I think that there is some subtlety in that as in like, uh, a nurse kind of saying, should we call the code team? And like, you need to call the code team. The message is actually there, right? As opposed to just pondering, I wonder if we should call the code team. So in, so in my mind, one is shit, is exerting influence. And actually, even though you're asking this question, you are saying you need to call the code team now, as opposed to just pondering it. And that's where the line is, which is super subtle. I agree. And, um, and a very, very fine line. Does that kind of make some sort of sense to you? That's that's how I see it anyway. Yeah, uh, I think when you said earlier, when you said authority, I think that really mm -hmm. struck a chord because I've been thinking about adaptive leadership, which is kind of giving names to moments and concepts as a way to move an agenda forward. And I think mm -hmm. in a way, there's this um, important thing that happens when you say, okay, we're gonna have this, I'm gonna lead this part, you're gonna lead that part. You've, you're calling mm -hmm. someone a leader of a, of a part of the mm -hmm. resuscitation, whether it's um, pre-arranged or in our setting, we use stickers to, to mark who's the airway person, mm -hmm. who's the trauma yeah. team leader. You know, when you get that authority, it, people know you're making decisions in that area, yeah. not alone. Mm. Yeah. Um, so I think that, you know, in a shared leadership, in an explicit shared leadership model, um, authority, rights, responsibilities would come along with that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that the idea of authority and alignment and credit where credit is due, I, I just, I think, um, this is all making sense that it, there probably is more shared leadership out there than we 
think mm -hmm. even if our systems and our personnel is is calling themselves the sole leader there's probably more shared leadership happening yeah yeah for sure um and i think it's when you start looking for it you the more you see but i mean it, it's interesting so there was you know i think we'll Tell i'll explain more. about spontaneous lead, shared leadership and i just want to do a time check with you because my uh I think we're going okay, but I wanted to move on to talk about because the next study that we did was specifically looking at this spontaneous leadership sharing and and its relationship with a team performance and how prevalent it was. So yes, yeah, so maybe you tell us a little bit first about how you wrapped up this study and kind of decided where to go next. And yeah, that'll be great. So I guess you know the so what of of it you know, describes something that everyone's just going yeah yeah of course we recognize that and duh, that's there but you know what does it matter and i think for me it matters because of team performance so so what what is driving team performance when should we share leadership as your as your participants as our listeners said well when is it okay to share leadership when it's gonna when is it going to be helpful when is it actually going to hinder us um, when should I be the lighthouse and when should I be that more empowering leader? And understanding the answers to these questions, I think, is key. Um, and so this was a little moment, sort of I wrapped up my fellowship and went from the beautiful snowy uh, climbs of uh, Boston and back to the hot, um, terrible Australian uh, summer. And, uh, and then kept... But, kept but you finally got to be living right side up without your head down all the time. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It was a bit, I've just only got over the headaches now. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry for the gratuitous beach scene. Um, yeah, so I guess I wanted to ask then more specifically about my area, well, how much shared leadership is there in maternity teams and what was the association between team performance? And so that's really when we moved on to this next study where we looked at, um, uh, maternity teams, simulated maternity teams responding to a uh, postpartum hemorrhage and um, very, uh, I don't know if I'd volunteer to do this again, but we uh, transcribed every utterance of every team member uh, and we coded it as leadership or not leadership. And then we divided the teams into those teams that shared a lot and those uh, teams that had a more singular type leadership. I mean, um, I would just say a priori, so postpartum hemorrhage, right? The yep. baby's delivered, yep. the mom is bleeding to death, yep. the midwife or surgeon has to intervene in the perineum within the uterus, the patient needs to be transfused, maybe you need to move to, a, to an ICU context, maybe the baby still needs resuscitation. So to me, it's a complex multi-organ situation and based on my intuition shared leadership would make sense um i you know I, and also in the moment of stress i could see how sometimes some leaders would say i'm gonna take command and control and be the lighthouse mm -hmm. uh, but i can't imagine that that would be more effective so just wanted to add that in terms of I, I, I like the context you chose and it seems perfect for exploring how people lead yeah. in, in that critical and if I got any details you know wrong fortunately I don't deal with too much 
just to clarify, these were postpartum hemorrhages that occurred in the birthing suite area. Um, and the teams were like five, six, seven team members responding, baby's out, woman is bleeding to death, etc. Um, and yeah, so I was interested to understand is, is, is that one person taking, how much leadership sharing was going on spontaneously and was it helpful or harmful? And um, this, this is one of the results really where, where we looked at the overall teamwork score um, using a couple of validated tools and, and there was no difference in the overall teamwork score between teams that had lighthouse leadership kind of or more lighthouse leadership versus uh, a teams which took a more distributed or shared leadership approach where people were uh, making decisions on their own and, and uh, influencing others towards the goal. So um, interesting. So no difference at all. Why do you and, think there was no difference? Um, maybe I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Yeah. So, because I we did a couple of um, uh, clinical comparators as well, just to let you know that we also looked at the checklist completion, and again, no no difference in the number of things that they should have done. You know, getting oxygen on, getting drips in, sending bloods, fluid resuscitating, giving the uterotonic drugs, all that sort of stuff. No difference in the clinical checklist. But um, contrary to what you were kind of expecting, the teams that had a very distributed leadership uh, or shared leadership um, pattern actually were slower to do the critical thing that they needed to do, which was transfer the patient to the operating room because um, they had ongoing bleeding. So they, um, whereas the more singular leadership um, teams got that one thing done quicker. So, um, so this is super interesting. Um, and then now you ask, why half do we- a, half, a, half the time almost. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so I think there's a couple of explanations for what is going on here. And firstly, to say that this is a retrospective study and it's just observational. So, you know, we can't apply any causation. But as a person who watched those videos about, it uh, feels like a thousand times, um, I think that there's a couple of things going on. I think, firstly, to note that even the very singular leadership teams, um, the the most dominant leader, uh, actually the most leadership they did was about 75%, 80%. So there was still a large proportion, even in the lesser sharing teams, that other people on the team were performing leadership functions as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, and the, the teams where the leadership was very widely distributed um, were often teams that were flailing the, the the designated leader was really failing and everyone was like chipping in and trying to help get the team to where they needed to go and so we we saw both of these sorts of things of um you know shared leadership helping a poor performing team get better mm -hmm. and um and uh shared leadership also sometimes confused and and uh, duplicated work that was going on so um, not to be um, uh, critical of any specific specialty, uh, but you might have a, uh, a team leader that was an obstetrician who was doing a reasonable job, 
uh, and then say an anaesthetist sort of coming in and going, have you got two drips in? Have you done this? You know, we should need to do this and this and this. And they were actually duplicating a lot of the work that had been done, which is a failure for, for those two leaders to have coordinated and communicated. And so then you're duplicating and making the teamwork inefficient. So we saw both of those. Um, so in, on the comments here, somebody said, you know, well, uh, could it be because of a seniority experience they're better at prioritizing. You know, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is gender and racial biases and how does that mm -hmm. factor in? Um, so, yeah, you know. um, look, we didn't look at gender specifically or, or race or anything like that. Um, I, I think, um, yeah, this was a reasonably small study, so we couldn't go in um, into the details of that. But I, I do think that the quality of the actual designated leader has such an influence on team performance um, that um, that it makes a lot of the other stuff uh, less less important and so what I'm trying to say with that is I think what we want to get to is a sweet spot right where we have uh, designated leadership that is so effective that the rest of the team doesn't need to pitch in and perform leadership functions. Um, and for some individuals, perhaps that, that one person is capable of doing that, but in other individuals, perhaps they, they need some help. The, the most high performing team that we had in this team, in this study of 16 teams, was actually a team that had uh, a doctor, an obstetric doctor who performed 75% of the leadership and a midwife who did 25% of the leadership and not a single other person. They just did such a good job. There was no other leadership functions in that whole team that were performed. So, you know, I, I think, I wonder if there's a sweet spot, right? That maybe one person, it's just too much for them to cope. But once you start spreading it out too far in your team, the leadership, then the coordination, the communication burden gets too high. So, you know, maybe there is a sweet spot that trauma teams have actually come to intuitively um, with a, a co-leadership model. Well, I think in the questions and mm. is embedded potentially the idea that maybe there's a third axis that it's, it's also the quality of the leadership. It's yeah. not just whether or not there's sharing, but also how effective is it? Yeah. Well, the more effective the designated leadership is, the less there will be a need to have spontaneous leadership sharing come, um, emerge yeah. from the team. And I think that's where you want to aim for. Not that you ever want to stifle mm -hmm. your team members helping you out or, or forbid that because no one is a perfect leader, right? But where is that sweet spot of um, being effective enough to um, not need others to perform those leadership functions? That's great. That's that's starting to come together for me. That if you're open to shared leadership, it could rescue you, you when you're not doing too well, just the right yeah. amount. Um, and I, I yeah. finally also I think this is why I love the Meet the Author series. Is that you know when I first looked at the paper, I was I thought black and white, well shared or not shared. But now mm. I'm looking at you know now I'm looking at your data here. It's like low sharing, high sharing. There's that really speaks to like to that idea that there isn't no sharing. Yeah, no, there's not. There's not. Um, 
yeah, there's always some sort of, and as you know, leadership functions performed by others within the team, um, uh, I think, from what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, this is what we got really was that there is shared leadership universally. Everyone, there was always shared leadership, even in the teams that had low sharing, but we didn't see in this data um, association with uh, team performance, um, either from a teamwork. And in fact, um, too much sharing seemed to, and whether the quality of the leader was the main moderator there or confounding factor that you had a really good leader, they got on and they got that patient to theater quickly um, and the rest of their team didn't feel like they needed to pitch in and contribute shared leadership um, to the leadership, so. I'm looking at the time and it's about 10 to, so I was going to um, kind of finish up and I can say, I don't think that we should de demolish the lighthouse yet um, because um, as someone said at the very beginning of this talk, you know, sometimes maybe we do need the lighthouse. I, I don't know, but I, I do kind of think that maybe there is a, a sweet spot. And so the study that we've just wound up is this study um, comparing a co-leadership model or a dual leadership model, so a, two, a model of a medical team leader and a midwifery team leader versus our traditional singular team leader. So um, I'm super interested to hear from you guys because I haven't we haven't analysed any of this data yet. I don't know what we're going to find. Um, so, so, I mean, I think one of the other questions that is being raised, Sarah, is to what extent do the observational studies just show us the worst possible performance without really formal training. So if you're intervening and really saying, hey, this is the way to lead, have a singular team leader versus this is the better way to lead. What's the quality of the education? What behaviors does that turn into? I think that's very interesting because now you could say, okay, well, what's modifiable here? Mm, yeah. So and is so that how you did how you're doing this current study is yeah so we we absolutely right way? focus on actually you know in parallel with designing this study we actually redesigned our whole training program on well what exactly should a leader be doing and what what are the steps that they should do when the team comes in how do they allocate roles what are those roles and we made it really, really granular because I think uh, our misstep previously in teaching and training uh, with teamwork and leadership is that we didn't even have in our mind, well, what is the perfect way to lead in, in a maternity emergency? Um, and so really spilling that out granularly and training through uh, using, we use games, we use rapid cycle deliberate practice before we put them into the simulation so that we would get them to a point where their leadership in each model was uh, exemplary. And now we're going to compare those two teams. So, so this and will be interesting. In terms of fostering psychological safety, people are asking, you know, how does that play? And is that part of the training as well? Um, Oh, I'm, I guess I'm not entirely clear um, with respect to what they're asking, uh, as in, uh, of course, in our SIM course, we spent a lot of time pre-briefing for psychological safety um, and that it would be part of any standard simulation course that we would, we would run and it's very important. I, I'm only interpreting, but I, I would assume that team leaders can affect psychological safety 
foster within their team to encourage. Yes. And, and I think it goes back to that fine line between encouraging people to speak up and naming yeah. a designated leader. So I think potentially we're in that same so discussion. Interestingly, you say that because one of the, the actual defined behaviors that we're training people to do is what we call a recap. Uh, Walter would call that team re, you know, inaction reflexivity, but to go through a structured recap and for the, the designated leader to always end with, and can anyone think of anything else or are we missing something there? So adding in some structured team leader humility uh, to enhance psychological safety and give that moment for people to contribute so they're not interrupting and duplicating later. So that's part of what we've been doing as well. So, so right now in this trial, you've completed the data collection. Yeah. Uh, any hypothesis from your end or? Uh, I, I, I have no analysis? idea. Um, haven't, we've just started rating all the videos now. So I, I'm not gonna predict things and I'm not sure what we're gonna find. So. I'm interested to hear, I think we've got a little poll, is that right? Yeah, I mean, you know, in this country, we've had a lot of issues with, with pollsters, but <laughs> you know, let me just still share this poll here and see if the people are willing to, uh, to answer here and, and tell us uh, what, you, what do you think Dr. Jansen and her team are gonna find in this uh, current study? Yeah, looking at one leader versus two in a maternity team. Um, so let's see. You should let's be able. To, everybody should be able to vote now. Is this a, uh, a poll that's been? Um, you know, it's not. It's not fraud in this poll, Damien. No, people, are, people are completely free to answer. Hopefully, they will, <laughs> you know, in this case, they won't vote later. So uh, we've got so far ten people have voted. Um, so I'll wait a couple more seconds and see if we get a couple more votes. And. Uh, let me share the uh, share the results. Uh, 13, 14, that's, pre that's pretty good. 70% sample size here. Yeah, Seven, good. 75, 85, very nice. Okay, so here we go. We'll share the results. So 75% okay. think that you'll have better team performance, whereas five uh, think there'll be no difference. Yeah, so I, I don't know yet, and I'm, I'm being very scientific about this and keeping a very open mind. What I do know is I've had a sneaky peek at people's evals of the course, and they love shared leadership. Um, it's been overwhelming support for it, which will be very interesting if we find no difference or worse team performance, and it'll put us in a really interesting position. Um, I mean, I think that's what's so great, Sarah, is that even, even as someone who, be you believe in this and yet you're staying skeptical because I mean, I'm thinking you don't wanna waste people's time and lead them in the wrong direction with a fad that doesn't really pay dividends. Yeah. So I'm so uh, glad you're studying it. Yeah, I'm I think give you one more comment here and then okay. we will move towards wrapping up. So. Uh, I'm intrigued by the dual leadership model. Our facility trains cardiac arrest teams, nurse only, as though, and the nurse is the team leader. But there's the assumption that when the medical officer arrives, they'll take over a number of roles and responsibilities. So um, as there's no medical officer rostered to the code response, we can ensure that the MOs who attend are all the same level of training. So 
we have to train the nurse team leader. So uh, be interesting to work with our medical officers to formalize that dual leadership structure. It yeah. sounds like to avoid that in the moment conundrum of handing yeah. off when it may not be appropriate. So I, I think you're getting a lot of very good response here in terms of the real world applicability to a lot of our action teams. Um, and I think people are really trying to do their best um, and would love more guidance on, on what's, what's good. So. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of information out there on shared leadership, not necessarily in the healthcare teams, but about, you know, if you are going to set up a co-leadership model, there's even oh, different types of co-leadership. And But I think the, that it's a, like a good marriage. If you're going to have a co-leadership, you have to have frequent communication, you have to trust each other, and you also have to draw on each other's strengths and expertise in getting to where you want to go. So that's what the literature outside healthcare teams are. And I guess the marriage analogy is one that kind of resonates with people. You got to really trust, communicate, and um, and yeah, know each other's strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, do you have any closing thoughts or any other slides that you wanted to share here? Uh, no, I think that was the end. I'm going to stop sharing now. Um, and I guess I just encourage people if they find this topic interesting to, to think about their own setting and maybe start a body of research. I never thought I was going to be a researcher, but my clinical interest in making teams function better kind of led me along that way. So I'm, you know, I'm grateful to CMS and I'm grateful to my organization for supporting that. And I'm, and I'm, more grateful even to my amazing PhD supervisory team, uh, Stu Marshall, Robert Simon from CMS, and um, my boss and long-term mentor, Mike Beckman. Well, it's been a pleasure to see you develop the ideas and, and take them forward both in Boston and in Brisbane, where I've got a chance to visit. I know that you're interested in people connecting with you, so yeah. uh, you may reach out to Dr. Jansen's by email or um, through Twitter, uh, as well as staying in touch with us at CMS. Feel free to reach me as well, and I can connect you. Um, come back next week on November, uh, on November 11th. We'll be having an open forum. We can continue our conversation around teamwork and education, as well as quality and safety. The, in December, I'm excited about an uh, exciting brief feedback seminar that Janice Pelaganis and myself are putting together just to increase all of our game and giving and getting feedback. And a number of other opportunities are available through the um, virtual learning that we're offering now uh, at the Center for Medical Simulation. So uh, reach out to us uh, individually or uh, as an organization because we would love to work with you. And thank you so much for supporting the weekly webinar, Sarah. Again, thank you so much. Uh, for being here. I really feel like you have been here as well. Um, and uh, keep us posted on how the study data evolves because uh, now you've got me really wondering uh, <laughs> what, what to do and how and maybe starting my own personal experiments. So <laughs> thank you everyone who, who participated and who commented and I look forward to seeing you next week.
Yeah, thank you so much, everyone.